to all of the mothers, of course, I want to say Happy Mother's Day. I love all of you and appreciate all of you. And to everyone else, I love and appreciate all of you as well. Thank you so very much for using all of the things that God has given you to allow the Lord to work through you to be the people that you are, to continue to put one foot in front of the other, to take the next step by faith, whatever your next step is, and thank you for keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. I am so thankful for each and every one of you. Every Mother's Day, I like to start a new series on family, uh, but I don't like to single out one particular role in the family because we're not all parents, right? We're not all parents and we're not all married. There are some people that are married, so you are a spouse. Uh, there are some people that are parents, and so you are a parent. We all have a different role in whatever family we find ourselves in, and so there are all kinds of there are all kinds of principles that we need to talk about. Whether you are a spouse, or you are a parent, or you are a sibling, or you are an uncle, or an aunt, or a grandparent, or a cousin, or a, a son, or a daughter, we all have a role in the family, right? All of us, every single one of us, and so this series is going to be relevant for all of us because we all play a role in the family, and those relationships that we have within our families are some of the most important and some of the most challenging and difficult, aren't they? Because we spend a lot of time with each other, and so they are some of the most important and some of the most difficult roles, and, and I've never met a single person, I've never met a single spouse who says, you know what, I, I think I got it all figured out. I, I think I, I've, I've got this whole marriage thing figured out, at least some, not anybody that's been married for any length of time, right? Every single spouse I've ever known, even those that are advanced in years and advanced in years in marriage, in fact, maybe even, maybe even more so, the more advanced in years, every single spouse I've ever known has said, I'm still trying to figure this thing out. I want to be a better husband or I want to be a better wife. And the same is true with parents. I've never met a single parent who says, you know what, I've got it all figured out. I don't need to grow anymore. I don't need to get any better. I, again, with grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers and sisters, siblings, sons and daughters, whatever role in the family you, you have, I, I guarantee that almost every one of us, if we're honest and we reflect on the way that we're doing life and doing family, we could all say, I want to do better. Right? I want to do better. I want to be a better husband, or I want to be a better wife, or I want to be a better son, or a better daughter, or a better brother, or a better sister. And we also want our family life in general, not just that we want to be better as individuals, but we want life in our family to get better, don't we? There are things we want to improve, and we say, ah, I wish we didn't spend so much time with screens, or I wish we spent more time talking, or I wish we spent more time outside, I wish we spent more time doing things, I wish we were better at communication, and we look at our family life and we say, there are things that need to get better. And, and everybody feels that way, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, that even the, the families that you see on Instagram or the families you see on Facebook, and, and you look at other families and you think, they seem to have it all figured out, they seem to be doing really well, they seem to be doing everything they're supposed to, I guarantee you that no matter who it is that you're thinking about or looking at, even they struggle, because we all do. We're all struggling to be the kinds of families 
that we know we want to be. We're all struggling as individuals to be better, to be better moms, to be better dads, to be better husbands or wives or aunts or uncles or brothers or sisters or sons or daughters. And we're looking at the strained relationships that we have, or even if they're not strained, even if they're good, even if they're wonderful, they could still get better in some ways, couldn't they? And we could all do better in in so many ways. And every family, in one way or the other, is struggling with these things. And I think it's important for us to recognize that things like communication, that's good. Communication is great. Some might say communication is key. And spending time together is really good. But those things are not the foundation of functional families. Faith. Faith is the foundation of a more functional family. That's what we believe as followers of Jesus, don't we? We believe as followers of Jesus that this is the foundation of a more functional family. But it's one thing to acknowledge that intellectually. It's one thing to say that that's true. And we say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so I understand that if my family is going to get better, if I'm going to do better as a husband or as a father, if you're going to do better as a mom or as a wife or as a sister or as a brother, if you're going to do better in your role, if I'm going to do better in my role, it's going to be founded upon getting better at following Jesus, isn't it? That the closer we draw to Jesus, the more we become like Jesus, the more closely we follow him, the closer we will also grow to our families, the better we will be in every single role in our life, whether that's in our family or at work or at school or with anybody else. The more closely we follow Jesus, the better all of these areas of our life will get, won't they? We, we believe that and we understand that, but are we focused on that? Are we focused on laying a solid foundation of faith? Do we recognize that if this is going to get better, it's not going to get better just by wishing it would get better. It's going to get better by laying a foundation of faith. But, but if faith is the, is the foundation of a more functional family, there are also other things that we have to build on that foundation, aren't there? There are other things that we have to build on the foundation of faith. We can't just stop with faith and say, well, I trust in God and and I love Jesus and so I just hope my family gets better or that I get better at being a spouse or at being a parent. There are other things that we have to build on that foundation. And over the next few weeks between today and Father's Day for seven weeks, we're going to talk about seven qualities, seven qualities that no matter how long you've been following Jesus or how closely you're following Jesus, no matter how good you are at being a spouse or a parent or a son or a daughter, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, these are seven areas in which we can all use some improvement. And so these are things that in addition to our faith, in addition to our faith, the faith is the foundation of a more functional family, but in addition to that, These are seven qualities and seven areas that we can all improve on, and we are going to focus on those the next few weeks. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1 and the foundational text for this entire series. And so if your family is into memory verses, or even if your family isn't into memory verses, this might be a good one for us to work on as families. So if you have your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, this is going to be our text. 
And Peter says, his divine power, God's and Jesus' divine power, has granted to us, has gifted to us, has bestowed upon us all things, all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has, again, granted to us, gifted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now let's think about that text for just a moment today, and let's think about how that applies to our life as as Christians in general, but then specifically we're going to think about how does this apply to my life in the family, to my, my role as a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister. How does this apply to that? What, is, what does Peter say? Because this is incredibly profound what he says. He says his divine power has granted to us Through his power, he has given us this gift. What's the gift that he has given us? All things that pertain, how many things? All things, right? All things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need for life and godliness, God says, it's yours. Everything that you need to be the person he's calling you to be, everything you need to have in order to live the life he's calling you to live, everything you need for a godly life, he says, it's yours. I've given it to you. I've granted it to you. I've bestowed it upon you through his generosity and his divine power. He has granted to you everything you need for life and godliness. So how does that apply to your role in the family? He has given you the power. He has given you the ability. He has given you everything that you need to be the father he's calling you to be, or the mother he's calling you to be, or the husband he's calling you to be, or the wife he's calling you to be. Whatever your role is in the family, and you're thinking, I want to get better at that. I want to do better at that. I know I'm forgiven, I know I've fallen short, I know I've messed up, and I know through his grace and his mercy, he's forgiven me of the mistakes that I've made, but I still want to do better. I want to be better. I want to be better at loving my family. I want to be better at listening to my family. I want to be better at leading my family. I want to be better at helping my family. I want to be a better communicator. I want to be more merciful. I want to be more kind. I want to be more joyful. I want these things. And God says, they are yours. They are yours. He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through his promises. And he says that by these promises, we have already begun to escape from the corruption that is in the world. And that word corruption, the Greek word means like decay, when, for some reason, when I think about decay, I always think about a banana, because those things decay so fast, don't they? I mean, you buy a bunch of bananas, and they're green, and you bring them home for a couple days. This shows I should eat more bananas, but they, before you know it, they're, they're just, they're dark, and they're, they're mushy, and they're, they're awful, right? It doesn't take very long before they decay. 
before they ruin, before they are corrupted. And that's the way it is with everything in our world, isn't it? Paul says in Romans 8, and he uses the same word, that the entire creation is in bondage to corruption. Everything is decaying. Give it enough time, whatever it is, no matter how big it is or strong it is or wonderful it is, give it enough time and it will decay. It will break down. It will become corrupt. And that's not only true of things, it's also true of relationships, isn't it? Give it enough time. Give it enough time. And if you, if you just leave it there, if you just leave it there, if you just leave it sitting on the counter, if you just leave it sitting in your home, if you just leave it alone, give it enough time and it will decay. It will corrupt. It will fall apart. And why is that? Why is it that our relationships break down and fall apart? Well, Peter says it's because of sinful desire, right? In them, the other person, and in you, in me. There is this sinful desire in all of us. Desire for our own selfish ambition, our own desires, our own impulses, our own passions. To put ourselves first to have what we want to have. And we put undue expectations on other people in these relationships. And all of these desires that we have that are in conflict with what is right and in conflict with each other, after a while, it begins to decay the relationships. It begins to decay all things. All things become Corrupt. And Peter says, Peter says that God's great power, his divine power has given you everything you need to begin to escape the corruption that is in the world due to these sinful desires. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That you can begin, you know, you're not going to finish, but you can begin, you're not going to finish until the Lord comes, but you can begin to escape from the Corruption. Why? By doing exactly what we talked about for the last two weeks. Dying to these sinful desires. Being raised up with Jesus to live as a new humanity. A different kind of person. And as you live as a different kind of person, your relationships are going to be different. Right? They're not going to be perfect yet, but they're going to be different, aren't they? Because we're going to live in a different kind of way. And Peter says that everything you need, everything you need for life and godliness has been granted to you by God, by his divine power, by his very great promises. And through these promises, you can already begin to escape the corruption that is in the world because of these sinful desires. And that can be true in all of our relationships, that they can get better that we can move more and more closely to his divine nature, to become more and more like our heavenly father and our savior, Jesus. We can become more and more like him by dying to these things and by living a resurrected life. Look at verse five. Peter says, for this very reason, because all of these things are yours, because they've been granted to you, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Let's, let's kind of walk through that phrase right there. We're, we'll spend time over the next few weeks in these other qualities and these other characteristics, but let's spend some time right here in verse five. Make 
every effort. Make every effort. He says, be diligent, work hard. Now, on the one hand, you could say that everything you need for life and godliness has been gifted to you. It's been granted to you. It's been bestowed upon you. So is is living the life that God wants you to live, is becoming the husband that God wants you to be, or the wife that God wants you to be, or the mother or father that God wants you to be, is it a gift that he gives you, or is it an effort that you have to put forth? And the answer is, yes, it's both, isn't it? It's both, it's both. It's both a gift from God and, and something you have to strive for, an effort you have to put forth. He says, all of these promises are yours. It's all here. You have all of these things, but you still have to make every effort. God has given you everything that you need, but you still have to tap into it. You still have to dip into it. You still have to dig down and make every effort to be the person you're called to be. But everything you need in order to do that is yours. We have this huge treasure chest that God has given us, but we have to work hard to to dip into it. It's kind of like the internet, isn't it? I think about the internet sometimes. We think, what what a tremendous thing that is. I mean, we have all of human knowledge at our fingertips, and what do we use it for? Watch cat videos and argue with each other, right? Post pictures of our lunch. This this is a tool that has all the knowledge that human beings have accumulated over thousands of years, all right there, accessible by all of us to learn and grow and know and understand, and yet we, we barely scratch the surface with it. And the same is true with all of the promises that God has given to you. His divine power has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now you have to make every effort. Now you have to dig into those promises. Take advantage of those promises. He gave you his spirit so that you can partake in his divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world so that we can have better marriages, so that our relationships with our kids or our parents or our brothers or our sisters or our neighbors can get better. It's all right there, but we have to make every effort. Every effort to what? Look at the next phrase, to supplement, to supplement or to supply, or some translations say add to. Now, this word is a word that that talks about your own generosity. In the beginning, he says, God has granted, God has given, God has gifted, God has bestowed all of these promises and all things that pertain to life and godliness. And now he says, now you need to make every effort to supply, to supplement, to add to. He's given you all the resources you need to add to your faith these qualities, these characteristics. Now notice he doesn't say to sprinkle your faith with these things. He says to supplement, to supply it, to generously build on your faith these ways. God's given you all the resources you need. All you have to do is grab hold of them and add these things to your faith. 
Again, look at the next phrase. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And that's the word I want us to think about this morning. Virtue. It means exceptional character. Someone who stands out as being a, a model citizen because they've, they've done some, some heroic thing or some good thing for the common good. A person of admirable character. Now I want you to think about how important this was in the first century world. In the first century world, whether you were in a Jewish community or in a Gentile community, being a Christian was weird, right? It was weird. You follow this crucified Jesus, some guy that the Romans crucified, you say is still alive and that he is the king of the world and he is Lord and Caesar is not, and you don't worship the gods of the Greco-Roman world, instead you worship the, the Jewish God, that those things were very weird. So it was incredibly important, incredibly important that the first century Christians add to their faith virtue. Virtue. This exceptional character quality that other people in the community could look to and say, you know what, those Christians are kind of weird and they believe some really weird things, but wow, they are good people. They are amazing people. And think about, think about some of the characteristics and qualities of things that are universally virtuous, universally good, that people of every, every culture could look at and say, those are good things. Honesty, right? I mean, there, there's, no, there's no culture that I know of that lying is a virtue. Everybody understands that being honest being truthful, being selfless, sacrificing yourself for others, doing good for others even when it hurts your interests. Everybody can look at that and say, that's a good person. That's admirable characteristics. These are admirable qualities. This is a person of high character. It was an incredibly important thing that first century Christians be virtuous for the community to be able to look at them and say, those are exceptional people. And in fact, that's exactly why Christianity began to grow. Even though they were persecuted, they continued to be virtuous people, even so much so that sometimes the Romans would look at them and say, they're outdoing us in virtue. They're more virtuous than we are. We have to step it up if we want to be as virtuous as these Christian people are. Now, it's just as true today, isn't it? That virtue is just as important. That we be generous and selfless and humble and encouraging, not rebellious, not hurting our community, but helping our community. Now, of course, this doesn't mean perfect. He doesn't say add to your faith perfection. He says add to your faith virtue. These, this characteristic of being admirable. And I want us to think about how this applies to the family. Because all of our family is sort of looking at us, aren't they? And they're asking questions about not only what we do. Of course, 
we're never going to be perfect. You're not going to be a perfect spouse or a perfect parent or a perfect aunt or a perfect uncle or a perfect grandparent or brother or sister or son or daughter, but you can be admirable, can't you? You can add to your faith virtue, even if that means admitting your mistakes when you make them, because that's an incredibly virtuous thing to do, isn't it? To say, I messed up and I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? Instead of being arrogant and prideful, we can be humble and repentant. Look at verse 8. So after these qualities that Peter lists, he says, for if these qualities, virtue being the first of seven, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you're growing in these things, they keep you from being, look at these two words, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we have faith, but we don't have virtue, then our knowledge of Jesus is what? Ineffective and unfruitful. Our knowledge of Jesus is ineffective and unfruitful if we have faith, but we don't have virtue. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So now we have to make every effort to supply, to supplement, to build onto our faith things like virtue. So that, so that our knowledge of Jesus isn't ineffective or unfruitful. Peter knew that if these Christians were to believe in Jesus, but then they just stopped at believing in Jesus, they just stopped at faith and they weren't going to live out a virtuous life, that their knowledge of Jesus would be ineffective and unfruitful. And church, we need that same message today, don't we? Because it's one thing for us to tell our families that we believe in Jesus. But if we aren't living virtuous lives, if we're not living admirable lives, if we're not living lives that our family can say, you know what, I don't always agree with Wes. He kind of has some weird ideas about this whole Jesus guy, and he really, he's really into this whole Jesus thing. But his life, your life, if our family can't look at us and say their life is so admirable, then our faith in Jesus and our knowledge of Jesus becomes ineffective and unfruitful. And so here's where I want us to land today. That your family is affected by the virtue you possess more than the virtue you profess, right? Your family is affected more by the virtue you possess than the virtue you profess. Our family is looking at us, aren't they? Whether you're a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or a spouse, our family is looking at us. And they're asking questions not only about us, but also about what we believe. And they're not just asking, do, do they really believe that? They're asking, do they really live what they say they believe. They say they believe in love and mercy. They say they believe in grace. They say they believe in these things. But do they live that way? Do they live those things out? They say they believe in forgiveness. They say they believe in humility. But do they live out those virtues? 
And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that there are many, especially young people, that are walking away from the faith, maybe even some of our family, not just because of you and I, not just because they've looked at one person, because they they can look at you and they see a great, honest, virtuous Christian and follower of Jesus, but sometimes they look at all of us and it depends on all of us living virtuous lives. In fact, there's a quote from an author named Brennan Manning that has stuck with me for years. And he said, the greatest leading cause of atheism in the world is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We can't just say, here's what we believe. We have to live this out. God has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now we have to make every effort to add to our faith things like virtue. Because our virtue or our lack of virtue affects our families, doesn't it? You've been affected by your family's virtue and you've been affected by your family's lack of virtue. And our families are affected by our virtue or by our lack of virtue. And I guarantee that our family is affected more by the virtue we possess than the virtue we simply profess. It has to be more than talk. It has to be action. Our faith cannot remain simply intellectual. It has to become incarnational. It has to be lived out in the flesh in doing what we're called to do. And we thank God that we are forgiven because we've all fallen short of that, haven't we? We've all fallen short of God's glory, of God's plan for our lives. And we thank him for his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. But we need to take the next step, the next step in moving towards the life and godliness that he has granted to us. And so whatever your next step is, Whatever your next step is, whether it's putting Jesus on in baptism, whether it's confessing some of the things you're struggling with, asking for prayers or encouragement, after service, you can meet with one of our shepherds in the back, or right now, you can take that step down this aisle as together we stand and sing this song.